Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. I'm glad you're joining us either in person or online. We started a new series, a topic that we talk about for several weeks. Uh, actually, we started two weeks ago uh, called One Minute After You Die. And today's topic is not been a pleasant one. It's called The Horrors of Hell. Uh, as I said last time, we're going to use quite a bit of Bible because that's the only way we know about after we die, right? And those who don't believe there's life after death, they don't have any more proof than we do other than the fact that we do have the Word of God. So if you have a favorite translation on your Bible app or on your Bible, you can follow along as we do our study today. <clears throat> so he said last time, what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. Um, so we're going to talk about hell. Hopefully none of us are going to wind up going there, but um, it's, it's in God's Word, it's a reality. Um, if I truly believe there's a hell, <laughs> uh, it's going to determine the way I live here. Um, if as horrible as it says it is, I certainly don't want to go there. I don't want my friends and relatives to go there. I don't want anybody to go there, right? So I'm going to live my life with that goal in mind. If I don't believe there's any eternity, then I'm just going to live my life however, try and get as much quote-unquote fun out of this life as possible. And if I truly am a Jesus follower, I'm going to seek to um, serve him, uh, serve other people, love people, and love God. So huge, huge influence on the way we live our lives. Another way to say it's this. If we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. And so I think that's one reason we need about this subject, because we really need to appreciate the glory of the gospel, and the goodness of Jesus. Start with a question here. Who is going to hell? Actually, we're going to answer it later. But they did a survey of Americans, all right? So we're going to talk about heaven next week. That's going to be a little more pleasant. 74% um, of American, adult Americans believe in heaven. So three out of four people, all right? If you said, you believe in heaven. Now, most of them believe it's just a good place to go when I die, no matter how I live my life here. That's another subject. But 74% believe there's a heaven. Now, we get to hell, the statistic changes a little bit. It's actually only 40% of adults in America believe that there is a hell. All right? So, most people believe there's a heaven. Less than half people believe there's a hell. But here's the important question. How many people... They're going to go there. Uh, see if you can come up with a percentage number in your head. How many people actually think that they're going to hell? I know, it's, you know, people make jokes about it sometimes. Cause my, I'm going to go there because that's where my friends are. But really, ultimately, how many people think you're going to go there? <laughs> the statistic is one half of 1%. So that's one out of every 200 people. You'd have to... People before you'd find one that said, yeah, I really believe I'm going to go to hell when I die. Why is that? Because most people believe that hell is reserved for people like Hitler, right? And my wife just saw this movie about sex trafficking and uh, of children, worst of all, and, you know, drug dealers and those type people. But, you know, relatives, neighbors, uh, they're, they're all good people. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, too. And so they certainly aren't going to go to hell when they die. Now, let me read you something Jesus said, actually the beginning of his ministry, and I asked you the question 
about how many people you think are going to go to heaven and or hell. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning of his ministry, said this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. He's painting a word picture. All right, so God's kingdom here is this narrow gate. You know, just enough room for one person, maybe. The highway to hell, or actually literal translation is destruction, is broad. And this gate is wide for many who choose that way. So a bunch of people can go in at one time. The gateway to life, God's kingdom, is very narrow. Not just narrow, but very narrow. And the road is difficult, kind of uphill. And only a few ever find it. Now, what does it mean by difficult? Why is it difficult? Well, it's narrow. Why is it narrow? Because there's only one way to heaven, right? Only one way. People complain about that. There should be bunches of ways. Well, I always say, at least there's one way. How horrible it would be if there was no way, right? Now, if you're the devil, what is your strategy going to be about hell? Well, I want to convince everybody it doesn't exist first, right? And 60% of the people don't believe it exists. And then the other part of his strategy, which seems to be working pretty well, is convince most people that they're not going to go there. And we only have one half of 1% of people that actually believe they're going to go there. So consequently, I can live the way, any way I want. I can justify my sin. And I'll talk about how we're all sinners in a few minutes, but, you know, just because I cheat on my taxes, God's not going to send me to hell. Or, you know, yes, I have to lust after this woman, God's not going to send me to hell. You know, I do lots of good stuff, so I, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to wind up there. So let me ask you, percentage what? Let me just ask a simple question. Do you believe more people are going to wind up in hell than heaven or less? According to Jesus, what do you think? Evidently, the majority of people are going to wind up in hell. Sad to say, right? One way to think about, though, is we all deserve to go to hell. So any percentage that is spared is by God's grace. So why does hell exist? You know, some people say, well, why didn't God God just get rid of that place? Well, the reason they initially existed is to deal righteously with Satan. Satan is fallen angels. And we can read this in Revelation chapter, what is it, chapter 20? Revelation 20. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. They were there, There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, sometimes we don't think about how evil the devil is. (laughs) He's the embodiment of evil, of of anything bad. Uh, He wants to destroy anything good. He wants to destroy uh, believers. He wants to destroy their marriages. He wants to destroy their relationships. He wants to destroy their health. Uh, he doesn't want anybody to believe in God, and he certainly doesn't want anybody to believe that he exists, right? So that's the destiny of Satan and his angels. But there's another reason it exists, unfortunately, 
because God has to deal righteously with unbelievers. God is a holy and righteous God. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So he consequently has to deal righteously or justly with unbelievers. And it wouldn't be just to send an unbeliever to heaven, would it? Wouldn't make sense. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. God will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. Talked about last week. Judgment is kind of a word ceremony for believers, but for unbelievers, they're headed for the uh, great white throne of judgment. They will be punished with eternal destruction. Forever, best way to understand that, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. The sin of hell is where God has removed himself, and we don't know how horrible that can be. Now, Many people will say, that's not fair. My friends, my relatives, my neighbors are good people. I need anything, the first ones to come and help me. But let me ask you, if you know something's, somebody's been unjust, do you want justice for them? Sex traffickers, do you want them put away? We'd all say yes, right? We want justice here on earth. Why wouldn't we want justice in eternity? And we're going to find out who deserves to go to heaven and who doesn't, and that would be just. But we like to justify our, our lifestyle and justify other people's lifestyle. Oh, my neighbors are great. They don't go to church. They don't acknowledge God. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. But they're just good people. What's just? See, God is holy, and if he's holy, he has to be just. In fact, I planning on speaking about the holiness of God in a couple weeks. So we'll spend more time on that. So again, if we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. So I want to look at a story uh, or, or something Jesus taught. That's better than say story. And this is in Luke chapter 16. And most of you probably know this story. Now there's some debate among theologians whether this is a parable or true story. Right? Now, my take is going to be that it's a true story for several reasons. One is, Jesus doesn't say it's a parable. There is no moral lesson taught at the end. If it's a parable, it's the only parable that's got people named in it. Abraham's named in it, and Lazarus is named in it. So I tend to want to believe this is truly something that happened. Because it's a parable, you can't draw much conclusion from it. If it's a true story, then we can make a lot of deductions or conclusions. So this is in Luke chapter 16. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, and who lived every day in luxury. Now, we might not appreciate it here, but this guy's like in the top 1%, all right? If you had purple clothes in the first century, you were extremely wealthy because it was a very expensive dye. And I just learned that this this week, that linen was very expensive and rare. And this guy had both. So he's living in extreme luxury, all right? Now, interesting thing, the Jews would think what about this guy? If you're extremely wealthy in the Jewish theology of the day, you would be what? Considered what? Very spiritual. Because 
wealth was the blessings of God, so you must be a spiritual person. We're going to find out otherwise. At his gate, he lived in a gated community. Kind of interesting, right? He has a gate. He laid a poor man named, uh, where a poor man named Lazarus was, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Let me explain this to you. The rich, um, how, they, how would the rich wash their hands after they ate? They often used their hands to eat. They'd be greasy and oily. You know how the rich did it? Especially in a desert climate like this. You didn't use water. They used bread. So after you got finished eating, your hands are messy. You take this loaf of bread and use it to clean your hands. So consequently, what happened to the loaf of bread? The crumbs and parts of it fell on the floor. So it's interesting to me, Lazarus is not asking to eat this guy's off his table. He's asking to eat what he has used to wash his hands and which was used to feed the dogs. That was all he's requesting. Um, best we can tell, he doesn't do that. We don't know. That's his request. So time passes and these people die. Poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet, or Abraham's bosom. All right. Kind of a neat concept, right? When you and I die, that angel carries you. But that's what happens to him. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. Uh, it's literally the word Hades, uh, some Translation, some translations have the word hell. I think it's a bad translation. But anyway, we'll talk about that. There in torment, this Hades place, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. So I'm trying to give you a visual of this, all right? So, Hades is the place, literally means place of the dead. Old Testament word is Sheol. Uh, we don't have a lot of information about it. But from this story and from other passages, we can say this is a temporary location. Um, if you don't like to use the word to cover both, both of these areas, torment and paradise, that's fine. But I'm going to say, all right, theoretically, Hades, since it's a place of the dead, could be a place of torment as well as a place of paradise. The torment side, we could call hell if you want. According to the story, there's a chasm in between, right? And so we find out that there's this interesting passage where it's described that Jesus did something, and it's always been open to interpretation. But let's read it. It says, after being made alive, he, meaning Jesus, went and proclaimed to uh, made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Okay, so Jesus told the thief on the cross, or the criminal on the cross, what? The one that repented. Today you will be with me where? In paradise. So where did Jesus go for those three days? This is just conjecture, I know. But he's evidently at a place called paradise. Um, and what does it mean that he made proclamations to the imprisoned spirits. Imprisoned spirits sound like people in Hades, doesn't it? Now, I used to not like that interpretation because this word proclaim in, in some translations says preach. 
But it's not the normal Greek word for preach. The normal Greek word for preach means to evangelize. This is the word proclamation. So I can envision Jesus going to paradise, looking across this chasm, and preaching proclamation that I am the eternal king of God to these imprisoned spirits. Now, what happens to these people in paradise? Are they still there? Well, I wouldn't think they were still there because Jesus isn't still there, is he? Where is Jesus now? At the right hand of the Father in heaven, right? So, in John 16, as Jesus is speaking last night of his life, John 16, I mean 14, verse 6, he said, No one comes to the Father, which means gets into heaven, except through me. So I found this interpretation where when Jesus ascended into heaven, he took all the people, all these Old Testament people that are believers, he took them to heaven with him. I like that interpretation. Find out if it's true when I get there. So at this point, then, paradise would be paradise side of Hades would be empty. And of course, uh, the torment side would still be full. So we know it's temporary because in Revelation it tells us. Uh, then death and Hades, this is in uh, chapter 20 again. Death and Hades, the realm of the dead, were thrown into the lake of fire. So it no longer exists. This is a second death, the lake of fire, the eternal separation from God. Again, the best definition of hell is a place where God isn't, where you're separated from God. It's horrible. We don't know it, how terrible it would be. Now, there's two Greek words translated for as hell in the New Testament. We already talked about Hades. Depending on your translation, the one I prefer, it shows up 13 times. 12 of those times, Jesus used the word. So it's only mentioned one other time in the New Testament by the other authors. The other one is translated hell. appears about eight times. Jesus said, used it about four of the eight times. Was the word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna was was a visual that people would understand. Gehenna was a real place uh, in Jesus' day. It was the trash heap outside of Jerusalem. And it was different than our trash heaps here. This is the place that they literally put dead animals and dead criminals. So you know those two guys that got crucified with Jesus? This is where they wound up. And their bodies rotted. Um, Jesus would have wound up there if God hadn't made other provisions for him. Right? And so it supposedly had an uh, ongoing fire. Now, I've never smelt it, but what they tell me, the smelt of burning flesh is horrible. And so when they use this word, people in Jerusalem had a, had a visual. They could smell the smell and they could feel the heat as they crossed past Gehenna or the trash heap. So back to the incident with the rich man and Lazarus. <clears throat> the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. Now, this is kind of bizarre to me. I'm trying to think, all right, I'm there suffering. Lazarus is away over there. I, I want him to come. Probably had to bring the water with him. <laughs> Across this chasm to just, but he's in agony. Just any bit of relief, any bit of pity. Now he said last time, 
For believers absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. So what's the case then with unbelievers? Absent from the body, what? Beginning of eternal suffering. We can read it again in Revelation. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment. Again, they had this visual of the smell and the, and the, uh, and the smoke. Will rise forever and ever and they will have no relief day or night for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. That's the destiny of those without Christ. So back to the rich man Abraham and Lazarus. So he had this request of Abraham, and Abraham's response is, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. Luxury, right? Lazarus had nothing. So now he is being comforted, and you are in anguish. Now, let's be clear here. It wasn't kind of a karma thing. He had a great life here, so he's going to have a bad life in eternity. And since Lazarus had a bad life here, he's going to get a good life in eternity. That's not the basis of it. The basis of is your faith or belief, right? The rich man didn't believe Lazarus was a true believer. That's determined their destiny. And he says, and besides, there's this great chasm separating us, and no one can cross over to you from here who would want to. (laughs) More importantly, no one can cross over to us from there. You can't get out of torment once you're there. One author I was reading described hell as no more good. So anything you and I consider good, joy, laughter, fun, uh, relationships, whatever, anything you and I consider good, that will not be there. And one thing that we all think is good, I think, is hope. And there's certainly not going to be any hope for those in Hades. So back to our story. Then the rich man said, okay, not going to bring me a drip, uh, a drop of water. Please, Father Abraham. He's pleading at this place, right? Point. At least send him, meaning Lazarus, to my father's home. <laughs> so at this point, he's believing in the resurrection of the dead. He wants Lazarus to go back. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. So let me give you four lessons from the other side out of this account that we just read. First, the rich man was fully aware and conscious and aware, right? Some people believe in like soul sleeping or they cease to exist. No, 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 no. (laughs) You're going to be conscious and aware for eternity, whether in torment or in heaven. The rich man's eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed, right? Notice he didn't make any requests to let me go over there. Or have pity on me and take me away from this place. He knew that he he had his just (laughs) destiny. It was fixed and he couldn't do anything about it. Thirdly, he knew that his suffering was just. Now he complained about the torment. He didn't complain about the fact that he deserved to be where he was. Right? He, He didn't like the pain, but he never said, this isn't just, this isn't fair, I shouldn't be here. Evidently knew better. And of course, then he begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers know Jesus. Now again, this is a hard topic, especially when you think the majority of people, this is their destiny. 
But as I said earlier, when you, what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. And sometimes I think you and I, those of us that are believers, uh, don't have as much, as much sense of urgency as we should about letting people know that God loves them and they don't need to have this destiny. So one way I, I was thinking about it, the best way I could explain it to you is we have a, the problem is this, we have a misbelief about our nature and God's nature. People claim, well, why would God, a good God, loving God, send people to hell? We mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. God doesn't send anybody to hell, does he? That's a misnomer of his character. So, what is a man's nature? What is your nature? My nature. We are sinful, right? Uh, Romans says, for where the wages of sin is death. Everybody here has sinned, right? Anybody not sinned? Okay. We've all sinned. So what is our wages? What is our just deserts for sinning? Death. Death means separation. It means separation from God, right? That's hell or Hades. Right? That's what you and I deserve. But there's a, 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 an option, right? There's a free gift. So I can get what I deserve. Or I can take this free gift Free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you and I are not good. Your neighbors are not good. Even if they come and help plow your driveway when it snows, like mine do. Right? Uh, that does not mean they're good. They're still sinners and they're just deserts. Their wages is death or separation from God. Uh, those of you who have children, <laughs> those of you who work with children, do you have to teach a child to be selfish? What's one of the first words a child learns? It's mine. Right? That's sin nature. So God is loving, but God is holy, which requires him to be just. So the wages of sin is death. We're all sinners, so somebody has to die. Right? Probably the most famous verse in Scripture, for John 3.16, right? For this is how God loved the world. So we say God's a loving God. How do we know God's a loving God? Well, he gave his one and only son. So that anyone who believes in him perish, not have eternal punishment, but have eternal life. Now, God, God couldn't be much better than that, right? <laughs> Another place, Romans Explains it in uh, chapter 5. God showed his great love to us. How? By sending Christ to die for us. When? When we thought, hey, God, I'm kind of interested in you. No, 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 no. While we're still sinners. While we spit on Jesus on the cross. That's when God sent Christ to die for us. And since we've been made right in God's sight, how? How are you and I made right? How are we allowed to go to heaven? Simply by the blood of Christ. He'll certainly save us from God's condemnation. So what did God do? He had to satisfy justice. He didn't want all his creation to go to hell. And so he provided the easiest thing, a free gift. So nobody sent, God doesn't send anybody to hell, right? In fact, I put it on the outline this way. God is coming after you. And he's coming after me. Not in judgment. He doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want any to go to hell. But in 
love. And that Jesus dying on the cross tells us that. He said, I don't come from those who are, think they are well, because none of us are well. We're all sick. We're all sin sick. I come for those who are sick. Again, Satan. What's Satan's purpose? Satan's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. So any destruction that's happening, any stealing, any killing is Satan. But God, on the other hand, how does God operate? Jesus said, my purpose is what? To give them a rich and satisfying life. So Christianity isn't fire insurance. You've heard that term, right? It just doesn't keep you out of hell where the fire is. That's not Christianity is. Christianity, since the beginning of your salvation, if you receive Christ, is a rich and satisfying life. Those of you who are Jesus followers, aren't you convinced and positive that your life has been better since you've been a Jesus follower than it was before? Not afterlife, but here on earth. I've had a rich, more rich and satisfying life being a Jesus follower than I ever had, would have had without it. So back to our story, and we're almost finished. Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. He's asking send Lazarus to his brothers. He said, no, 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 the Moses prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. They've got all the evidence they need right here. Of course, to them, they had their Old Testament. That was their Bible. Rich man said, no, 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 no. I had that, and it, it didn't convince me. So, if someone is to send them, sent to, is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent. He understood what was required, repentance of sin. He said, then they will repent and turn to God. Now, did Abraham agree with him? No, no, he said, no. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't believe this book, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And of course, Jesus is prophesying here, right? What, what happened in a few years later? Somebody raised from the dead? Absolutely. Did everybody believe? No, they didn't. So, how do people believe today? If we saw somebody come back from the dead, would we believe? No. This is all we need to believe. And so I'll end with this out of Romans chapter 10. Faith, belief, comes from hearing. Hearing what? Not somebody come back from the dead and tell us something. Hearing the good news about Christ or the word of God, some translations say. So earlier on in, in Romans 10, Paul explains it. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, we have to believe in Jesus raised from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved from eternal torment and punishment. That's what you have to do. You have to believe. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. You've got to be made right with God to spend time with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. We're all going to die. No choice about that, right? But we do have a choice of where we want to spend eternity. Back to my earlier question, who goes to hell? Those who reject Jesus. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, this is an unpleasant topic. Doesn't need to be, I guess, because nobody needs to go there. Hell could, hell could be empty because Jesus died for everyone. 
But we all know people, I'm sure, that we don't believe that they're going to go to heaven when they die. God forgive us for not being more concerned about them, more proactive in sharing the truth. I don't know, maybe we're afraid they'll reject us or not like us or... I don't know. But forgive us. And if anyone here is without a saving knowledge of you, God, we pray today is the day that they understand their destiny without you is eternal torment. It's so unnecessary. No one needs to go there. You, Jesus, loved us enough to die for all of us. How awesome is that? Father God, those of us who are believers, we thank you. I would pray we'd understand how awesome the gospel is and how good you are. And we thank you in Jesus' name.